All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ATL on Fire. We are on fire literally here at ATL, uh, Atlanta United Football Dave. Um, we are Groundhog Day. It's been Day. a couple of days. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I, you know. I mean, what are you referring to, Mikey Dodd? Yeah, I don't uh, nothing know. Nothing going on. Coach is officially sacked as of yesterday afternoon, correct? Or was it in the morning? Um, I think it was in the afternoon. I yeah. might have heard. So, Gabrielle Heinze is no longer the Atlanta United coach, is obviously the big headline. Um, And, you know, uh, evidently, you know, according to Darren Eels, it had to do with a combination of um, performance. Obviously, our record is not good. We are 2-7-4, and uh, only two wins on the season. But the big uh, part of their decision was kind of the day-to-day management of the team things that were really off field related or practice related potentially you're getting right into it should we talk about the wine first you're absolutely right we should (laughs) so let's take a moment to take a deep breath and talk about the wine that's a good call everybody should be having mikey dobbs is fired up people i mean fired up um so in honor of the momentous occasion, I brought a very big wine, a Starmont uh, from Napa Valley, a Cabernet, a big Californian one. Ooh. Very nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Loving it. Might invite you over more often. And in this case, we're going to talk about it all, which means really we're just going to talk entirely about Heinze. Probably. <laughs> yeah, so the, you know, the... Reading through, you know, some of the things that were said by um, Darren Eels in terms of, uh, you know, things that uh, he was not doing correctly as a person to build the culture that, you know, Darren Eels, in terms of what he's always said, wants to have Atlanta United be the model global type of club that, uh, you know, we have aspirations to be. But certainly the last two years of combined decisions made by himself and, the people that he's in, installing into the building, like Gabrielle Heinze, the biggest thing that was floating to the surface for me um, beyond some of the MLS infractions um, that uh, have been reported by the MLSPA was the, the thing that really irked me the most is it sounds like he wasn't a general, generally a, a nice guy in terms of treating staff and employees and creating a culture of um, at least having a smile uh, when you're not when you're not serious on the soccer field, um, but when you're you know maybe you know in other environments where the culture of the club has to be a positive one with body language, even if he doesn't speak English well, if you're walking through and give a little you know hi or a smile, like those things really matter in any organization. And fine, go back and yell at Kubo Torres to to vent when you go back you know in, into practice. I'm fine with that, but. Those are the things that really um, were red flags to me that were bubbling up without a lot of detail. Obviously, Darren and the team didn't want to give too many examples. Yeah, so let's let's take a moment and see if we can 
um, at least run through the things that have been alleged or at least rumored. And and I should say, really, they're rumored because the club really, again, has not said really anything in detail. There's some speculation that that could be due to... um, um, you know, law considerations with regard to Heinz's contract, but let's go through some of the things. So you mentioned one, right? That um, he's not thought Heinz is not thought to be a pleasant guy to the staff, to the people mm-hmm. around. Okay. What else? So, you know, the other big thing um, that people certainly on the social media platforms are talking about during the preseason uh, training regiment, uh, at least for a certain period of, of that training, it sounds like he was trying to limit water intake of the players. I don't know if that was like a you know, something as he grew up, like one of his coaches may be employed in terms of the thought process of, you know, trying to make it through a game with low, lesser hydration or something like that. Or was it overblown in terms of there was a period of time where, yeah, there's water over, over on the side and he wants their attention go have your water break when you need it. But right now, come over and listen to me. We need to do this. And one of the medical staff or something like that blew it out of proportion. I don't know. Only the players really know. And and it is scary if he was truly trying to limit uh, water to a dangerous degree. But I don't know what the real situation was there. Yeah, so I'll start with your first one, which is the, the being pleasant to people. Um, you know, obviously, we don't know. We're not interacting Despite what you might think on the ATL on Fire podcast, we have a lot of insight, but um, we're not actually in the locker room and we're not on the training ground, so we don't really know. But, um, you know, going back to um, what I originally was talking about, uh, you know, with what Sir Alex Ferguson said about when Heinze was on Manchester United, that, you know, he was the kind of guy who would kick your grandmother. Um, (laughs) I, I can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the water, you know, break, um, you know, the sources in some of those articles are saying that um, trainers had to get involved because, you know, basically the players wanted to get a water break, and he said no. Um, I, I happen to think that, you know, I'm with you that um, I can't imagine that that's such a big deal. Like, yeah. um, maybe you know, not giving the the players any kind of break during training but even that you know the players are hydrating obviously before the training session they're hydrating after the training session um even if you're <laughs> such hardcore that you're going to run them through an entire hour and a half or whatever with no breaks no water no whatever it's not my idea of training but i i don't yeah. even think that would be the biggest of problems yeah it's certainly not it's the one that has the biggest splash online but as somebody who's played you know, both you and I played college soccer. We've gone through, uh, you know, long periods of just training, right? And then you come out and have your, have your water. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, they are smarter about it in terms of, <laughs> you know, when the weather is X degrees and, and you have yeah. a professional environment like Atlanta United, they have people watching who, you know, are, are trying to take care of the, the players, and that's great. But, uh, again, I don't think that that is ultimately what's led to, like, injuries and stuff like that. Injuries are about stretching and, and more of the training regimen. Like if you are truly being overrun, you know, your muscles do not do need time to recover. Like those are the things that actually cause injuries on top of actually getting bumped on the field, which is 90% of it. As far as I'm concerned, if it's a major injury, like an ACL or something like that, um, you know, those, those aren't going to be because of hydration. Um, no, not hydration. I do think, you know, one of the things you saw in all major professional sports during COVID 
um, with limited preseason and all the limitations of COVID, there were a lot of injuries. Uh, and so there is this thing about, you know, overtraining and or mm -hmm. training with not being prepared. I think at the professional level, it does result in injuries. But, you know, I agree with you, yeah. probably not the water break. Yeah. And so one of the other th topics that came up was um, him not allowing players to take their mandatory days off. Um, I forget the rules in terms of every 14 days and whatever. There's there's some mandatory time so you're off. You're supposed to have basically eight days off okay. over eight or ten weeks, something like that, and you're not supposed to train more than ten days in a row, something like that is what I heard. But um, there's some flexibility in that depending on different things. Um, but, yeah, go ahead. No, and so, I mean, it sounds like at certain times he stretched that rule and got in – uh, you know, maybe two or three or I don't know how many more trainings on top of what the, you know, the, the MLS rules dictate. Mm -hmm. And supposedly there were a lot of two training sessions per day. Right, two days. Um, which is not really um, addressed, I think, so much in the rules. It's more how much training you can do in, you know, how many days in a row and things like that. So I don't think, I think you can train as many hours as you want on those yeah. days. And, and, you know, and I said this so much on the, the last podcast or, you know, or I at least thought it in terms of, you know, Gabriel Heinz has played at some of the top clubs in the world. He, he should have a realistic expectation of what, um, you know, what you can run people through on a day to day. But um, I wonder how his regiment compares to that of some of the best leagues in the world and say, you know, whether it be someone like Bielsa, who we, we know is also extreme in, in that respect. Um, but, you know, how does it map, map to like a Man City or one of these other major clubs? And so was he just trying to raise the level of a, a team's preparation? And that is getting um, that's creating some really nasty backlash with the water thing on top of it. Well, supposedly, you know, a number of players got hurt the day before a game and that's pretty unusual because yeah. usually the day before a game is pretty light um, I will say that um, my daughter and I had the privilege um, to go recently we went up to see the Carolina Courage um, my old coach Paul Riley who's the head coach there um, you know who I got my coaching start under um, he's still the head coach there, a very, very well-respected coach in women's soccer. And we were actually there for the training session. He allowed us to, to participate in the training session the day before nice. the game. And I would say that um, it was pretty light. You know, they warmed up. They had a series of, you know, a little bit of tactical ball work. They did some, you know, very short kind of scrimmage thing with where he was working on a few things. They went over some free kicks and that was it. It was short. It was sweet. And in fact, what was interesting is after the training session ended, um, the players were, you know, fooling around and kicking. They were crossing their, you know, shooting, whatever. Yeah. And he went back on the field and said, get off. It is hot. And he was telling me, he's like, look, if you'll let them, they'll just play all day. And it's not good for them. They got to play tomorrow. It's high heat. Yeah. They got to be off. Right. So right. he's very cognizant of it. Um, so obviously that that's not the be all end all. There's right. a lot of different ways to coach a team. But that is a professional team the day before. It gives you a sense of the training session. The, the training session in its entirety might have been, you know, 45, 50 minutes. Right. 
Yeah, and we've talked about um, Paul Riley as a potential Atlanta United coach, particularly in an environment now where we've gone down the path of a European coach and Argentinian coach to try to get back to the Tata Argentine bridge. Um, it, it clearly seems like they may go with a safer choice. This yeah, time you might around. see an American or yeah. an, well, somebody with MLS experience. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not, you know, going for the swinging for the fences. Um, yeah. We'll get to that. Maybe some speculation on who who a good coach would be. And I'm going to lean on you because you know the options better than me there. But uh, what else do I have down here in terms of? Um, so you know, the timing of all of this, right? Um, so obviously, people are talking about the Joseph Martinez, um, <laughs> you know, the benching or, or of Joseph Martinez, him not being him being told to train by himself as being the straw that you know broke the camel's back, but. It seemed to have come out amongst, you know, Darren Eels and the Atlanta United front office that this was actually uh, um, coming and, you know, for a while now. And it wasn't necessarily the record. They weren't really that concerned. They were going to give him time for the record. But um, the thing that really started this was that the players filed an official grievance with the league. And that was coming off of preseason training. So this wow. has been going on in the background before we started the league schedule. And so how does that work? Is there is there a representative on the team, the captain, that helps file that with the, uh, the Players Association? Yeah, in the past, there's been a representative from each team. I know LGP used to be our representative. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure who our current representative is. Um, who would, you know, but, you know, any player, I believe, can go to, I mean, there's a collective bargaining agreement that has all of those right. rules. The MLS is, rep, the players are represented by, a you know, an official, you know, lawyer or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a grievance can be filed. And how quickly does the coach get to learn that the grievance was filed against him? Do we know? That's a good question. I have no idea. I mean, presumably, um, we have... Again, a lot of this is so rumor, you know, whatever. But in reading between the lines, between some of the people, I tried to, you know, read articles and listen a little bit to people like Doug Robertson who are, you know, more plugged in, who are there at the training ground, etc. Um, and my reading between the lines is that Heinze was told, I don't know whether he was told about the official um, grievance, but he certainly was told that, there were some concerns about, um, you know, training too many days in a row and this and that. Um, and I should say the other part of the problem that was apparently part of this is that he never would tell them exactly what time. He told them they had to be available all the time. It didn't matter. They had to have their cell phones on, you know, so if he wanted them on the training ground, he wanted it on the training ground. I don't know how much that's true. A lot of times when things unravel, people tend to, you know, air extra dirty laundry. But in any case, it seems like, um, he was told and suggested to him that um, he toned down maybe right. some of it. And he said, he seemed to intimate that he might do that and then just did nothing. It was okay. like, I'm going to keep going. I, I know. <laughs> Which is very much what we think Heinze <laughs> would go for. Right? So, you know, one of the things that, that is also was a bit of a shocker to me because I don't mind, you know, again, if he's, if he's a, uh, a, a tough trainer, and and at least you know, we knew that that was the case with him coming in. That he had a tough training regimen. 
Um, but but I agree, there needs to be time for recovery the day before the actual game. And um, there's things that I would certainly do if I was uh, uh, making sure the team was relaxed um, and you know um, not not overworked. You know, with with time to recover before the actual whistle blows on game day. I think that's really important on any team that I played played on. You have to have teammates that you enjoy being around and there's a little bit of horsing around. So even with that old sure. Tata team that was a part of their routine, there has to be some level of venting for the team to feel like they're actually connected to get the best out of them. And so one of the things I was shocked to learn though, and it was in the Fox sports article. I don't know if you read mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. A guy, Doug uh, McIntyre. That sounds right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was that Tata for many of the players did not talk to them directly and had an intermediary. Kinds are Tata. Sorry. Heinze. You're getting ahead of yourself. I am, yeah. So I, I keep mixed. Sorry. Sorry for that, listeners. Heinze yeah. evidently had a, uh intermediary deliver and talk to players at some times. And again, I don't know. Again, we're not in the locker room. and We're not anywhere right. near the facilities. But this is what we're hearing in the trades. And if that's true, or if we know that he fired his translator or fired the official laying out a translator and brought in his own dude who was yeah. terrible. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was communicating in, yeah. you know, Morse code or whatever. And and so between between him maybe not being a nice guy culturally or just a good person to other average people in the building mm-hmm. and him not being a coach that uh, talks to his players directly, and it, it felt like he did have the players following him. It just so I don't know how true that could be, but it, it's worrisome if it was true that he's not actually having real conversations one on one with his players. Is that in top clubs common that the coach you know is 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 having those one on ones with players? I mean, it feels like that's required. No, I mean, I think that there are coaches who overdo it and are just trying to you know talk all the time to their players. But, you know, um, I've read Alex Ferguson's autobiography, and my impression, for example, um, even at the highest level, is that, you know, in the key moments, he's the one who has the conversations about all kinds of things. Um, And so, yes, I think that is is important. And so, clearly, he was having conversations with Joseph Martinez, (laughs) whether he agreed with Joseph or not. Um, Yeah, we still don't know how the... Joseph came to the forefront of right. this whole thing, which is, uh, you know, I'm curious, like, again, if Joseph was the representative who filed the grievance and, and there was like a, a Heinz, a discussion with him, like, why did this happen? And, and whatever. And, and Joseph, and you would think, you know, his ground. you might say, well, why didn't the players come to him? We don't know that they didn't. Right. right? Cause this is where, where we're all left and blind in the dark. Right. Cause you would think that the players were upset about it. The first thing they should do is not file a grievance, but actually go to him and say, right. We're concerned about this. Yeah. And so I'm, I, I'm trying to speculate, but that's all, all it is. Um, we still don't really so know. So Heinze was a jerk. Joseph overreacted. Heinze was a jerk again. Joseph was a jerk. Yeah. Who yeah, knows? Who knows? Right. Right. Um, um, the interesting thing, though, that I, the thing that was fascinating to me is that I've seen this trickle out now that, um, you know, going back to your, your um, Freudian slip there, that Tata apparently had 24 days in a row of training. And a lot of this stuff was going on with Tata, who was very, you know, wanted a very intense practice session or whatever. And there's some people who are calling, you know, a little bit phallic. It's all hypocritical. Well, that's how the world goes. Look, if if Heinze had a winning record now, we had not 
if we hadn't lost the best game we played, by the way, which was a 3 nothing loss to Philadelphia Union uh-huh. in the CCL. Oh, we dominated the beginning of that Dominated game. that first half. Best best soccer we played all season mm-hmm. was a 3 nothing loss. Best soccer we'd played in a long time. Yeah. So, you know, and a few, you know, a few other moments where those ties could have been wins. Well, uh, so that gets me to an interesting question, right? So so let's say, theoretically, they were really overtraining. Um Actually, in hindsight, I would say that the team looked like they were sluggish in the more recent games. I attributed that not to, you know, I had no idea this was going on, but I attributed that to that to, you know, not having people on the field, not having Sosa, not having Martinez, not having Barco, the players who make it seem like it's going faster. But did you sense that there was overall the team was slowing down? No, I mean, also because there's like particularly the game that we went to on Saturday, there were so many new players out there that sure. hadn't gotten a start from uh, Amir Sadiq to, you know, we saw Wolf, we saw a bunch of players that typically aren't on, on the field. I mean, no. I think we, we said this, that really Lennon and Moreno would be, you know, if you're looking at paper, potentially the only starters that you would ideally want on the field. I think, you know, People are arguing for walks to be on that list, but I completely disagree with that. I think he's a good substitute at this point. Yeah, so Mikey Dobbs and I were at the game. We were discussing this, and we were saying, you know, how many of these players would we have as fans, you know, or Darren Eels and Bocanegra would have said, look, these are are probably who our starters are going to be. Brooks Lennon, probably, although even though you might say – uh, Hernandez, although he's available, so right. you know whatever. But it certainly um, seems Lennon's earned his spot. I mean, um, yeah, and uh, Moreno, of course, was definitely going to be as a designated player, a starter. Um, and you would say Alan Franco would be the guy who they thought would probably be in the starting lineup, who was yesterday. But other than that, um, you got to say that everybody was not. So you you know you got to say Sosa would say Bello Guzan. Uh, Barco, Martinez, um, Hangman, um, you know, all would you expect to be in the starting lineup? Well, and I guess now, to be fair, uh, Amir Sadiq might be expected to be in the lineup in replacement of Hangman, no? Yeah, um, yeah, you're talking about the new guy, is that how I pronounce his name? I think that's right. I might be getting that wrong. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it's Amar, I think, and then Sadiq, I think. Or okay, maybe. I don't really know. He came from Toronto recently. Yeah, he made his debut um, in the previous game. And So what did you think of him? Um, you know, uh, certainly didn't make any big mistakes, was a little um, non-impactful, but also mm-hmm. I saw him, you know, for somebody who's coming into – a brand new side, his first start. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna give like you know halfway thumbs up, uh, upside. Um, Didn't look like a defensive midfielder to me, which he was no. playing. So, the, but you know, maybe he's out of position. The other thing I noticed right away is all right foot. Yeah, he's definitely one footed, and and you know, uh, he certainly wasn't moving the ball as fast as I would like. There's one where he clearly let the defender read a, a you know a long cross crossing pass he was mm-hmm. trying to make that was probing out to the right wing oh right well and that was the one we were arguing you were like he waited too long and i said yeah he should. and he also played it with his right foot yeah with a straight ball instead of a left foot hooking up the field um and it was into he was trying to play it all the way out left um to maybe mulraney yeah. and it was intercepted and led to a counterattack. um and i think both of those things were yeah true. and so Back to the point is like we never see any of our starters 
that we would ideally want. And I, ta- I, I talked about this in the last podcast. Like, mm-hmm. who's the dream team that if we could have starting every week, <laughs> at least to give them two or three games consistently, uh, who would that be? From so you got you know Guzan and goal. Um, presumably Bellows your starter on the left. Um, the back two you would have to say would have to be Robinson and Franco was the plan back two. Walks being a backup. Um, right back you didn't know at the beginning of the year it was either going to be Lennon or it was going to be um, Hernandez. Um, nobody knew anything about him. Then obviously up front was Martinez for sure as soon as he got back to healthy. And then certainly Moreno and Barco um, as attacking midfielder somewhere in there. Um, Sosa as the defensive midfielder. Um, and then there's some variability. Maybe you say Jurgen Dahl. Maybe you say Hyman as a box-to-box player. There's a number of you know things that was a little unclear. But yeah. those guys were probably the main. Agreed. And, you know, I can only believe if those guys were on the field for a couple consistent matches that we would have a winning record. And regard, almost regardless of who the coach is. So the fact that there's so much talk about, we haven't done a great job of picking talent. You know, there's enough out there. I'm not saying we've done the best job. but it Yeah, de- there's a narrative out there right now that, all right, you know, DeBoer failed, Glass failed, right? Hines failed, right? So maybe the team's just not good enough. But I have a hard time with that. I mean, if you look at it, right, these guys are young. So that's, you know... You know, for what it's worth, um, but there's some class clearly out there. I mean, for all of the criti- criticism of players like Barco, is definitely at his best as class. Um, Moreno, some people say, oh, he hasn't done anything, but he can really yeah. is beautiful on I the ball. Yesterday, um, he was the only class in the field that I saw. Um, and yeah, you can say, yeah, didn't have an impact, but it's like any great team that you play on, like mm-hmm. you have to have a supporting cast, sure. And he Especially just, in soccer where it's a 10-person oh, yeah, on the field. A, yeah, one, one superstar or even one really strong player is not going to move the needle that much if he's trying to do it himself. You need you need that triangle at least, and that's where like the three designated <laughs> players never on the field together. Moreover, with all this international duty that's not going to be stopping anytime soon with World Cup qualification, I don't think we're going to see our starters together. Like even like... No. And and I was going to play devil devil's advocate and say, look, okay, yeah, you know, you were really on. We don't have all those guys together, sure. But the other thing is, at times, even in the Tata regime, we had all the players out at once. We have not had all the players out at once. You know, Martinez was gone for a little while, but all the U.S. internationals were there while he was gone. As soon as, soon as the U.S. internationals went to the Gold Cup, Martinez um, was back, right? Um Barco was there for all of those matches initially, right? You know, so it's not like we've had the whole team depleted. Um, we've had good players um, in almost every match. I, I have rarely looked at our lineup and said, Ugh, you know, we don't have any talent on the field. So, um, you know, we've had, you know, Jurgen Dom who can play. He's been injured, of course. But, um, you know, if you look at our back two, and you say, well, Robinson was gone, right, you know, for the Gold Cup duty, right? But when Robinson's gone, you're talking about Walks and Franco starting as your center too, right? 
Um, most MLS teams would love to have a pairing of that, right? right. So um, I actually have to say that I'm more inclined to the opposite. There is some critiques out there. I have heard from higher sources, and I won't say who it is because I don't want to get into a <laughs> bidding match with some of the other people who cover Atlanta United, but I've even heard some critiques, and anybody's listening, they'll know who we're talking about. Um, you know, there was critique of Sosa that he was supposed to be a passing player, and, you know, he's only had one assist. I mean, that is clueless. You don't know soccer. Yeah. Sosa, you know, although he's looked, you know, to be honest, we've talked about it, he looked like he tired, the last couple of games, and now maybe we have an explanation for that. But he was class for the beginning yeah. of the season, well, not- and he's a defensive midfielder. So who's asking him to go make assists? Yeah. Nobody. And, you know, because he's so good, I mean, it didn't take a genius coach on the other team to figure out who you need to shut down. Exactly. So <laughs> as, as he was progressing, you know, when we got a couple games in, the other teams clearly in the MLS were able to adjust target one of our best guys in the back and really make sure that he was not going to be effective with getting the ball and making those probing passes that he'd been doing up until, up yeah. until that point. So, so I, you know, it's my rant, but I don't buy it. Right. I, I'm like, give me that team, even give me the team, you know, with, with the internationals rotating, whatever. And I think that I could have had a better record on this uh, for, yeah. for so far. We've had good teams on the field. Yeah, I, well, I am worried, though, that we can, uh, even with a miracle, make any sort of comeback for the playoffs because of the international duty and the World Cup qualifiers, knowing Miles and Bello and, um, I don't know, I guess they won't get pulled up for the real deal, will they? Uh, if you watch the Gold Cup, not so much so far. Right. <laughs> Although Miles has gotten a goal and looked, uh, looked okay. Yeah, but yeah. you gotta say, none of them look like, they're certainly not gonna be starters, and... Um, none of them of the Atlanta United players look like so far that they're going to probably even make the roster to me. Yeah. So um, how long does the Gold Cup go on here where we're going to be missing the three U.S. players? I mean, the whole entirety of the Gold Cup ends up stretching like maybe like three weeks, something like that. Yeah. So it's been, you know, a week or a week and a half. It's got, a, you know, maybe as many as two weeks. It's not a long time left. Yeah, so we've got two more weeks of missing those guys and then... Yeah. Uh, another I mean we're already through the opening stage which is a three game stage so um we qualified first in our group so um after that I think it's um do they even play quarterfinals I think it's quarterfinal semifinal final okay. three more matches so the olympics are another what three weeks with barco gone then yeah um the olympics are probably a good three weeks um he's already been gone a week or so so yeah yeah, he's got another three weeks. But honestly, I mean, not to say who needs Barco, but um, attacking midfield-wise, right? You know, Moreno is perfectly capable as an attacking midfielder. We have attacking uh, he's midfielders. He's the only – I mean, he's – for as much as Moreno's, uh, you know, deficiencies may be defending, you know, he does put other teams in the back heel, and we've seen that this season. Yeah particularly as a, as a sub, uh, he, he's definitely coming on add, adding a spark, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with him adding, uh, a, you know, at least some level of, I, I wouldn't call it creativity, but using his speed to put people on their back foot. Presumably we've seen the last of Kubo Torres. Um, you, you think so? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I heard, I found out, which I didn't realize, that Kubo Torres played with Boca Negra, um, and so that maybe explains why he's on the team. But, um, 
because on and and that I don't mean that in a bad way for for those Bocanegra fans. Um, because when Kubo Torres played with Bocanegra, he was a player. It was before the ACL injury. He looked like a real talent. So if you remember that in your mind is, look, this guy, whatever, you'd be like, oh, he has a chance to get back there. And you maybe don't really notice that he's not that player anymore. So a sensitive subject for our uh, podcast listeners. Um, you know I'm, I, I am a little harsh on this. Um, Never. I, I love Joseph Martinez. <laughs> love, I do. I think... Uh, I really hope that I get we get to see him back at least even the seventy five percent of the level he was like to me that would be a treat uh, if he's able to achieve that. Um, but you got to look at the facts and and he's not old. I get give twenty eight I believe right twenty eight so he's heading towards twenty nine recovering from an ACL surgery with a season that you could say is less than ideal in terms of sure getting back up to speed. And so time is his enemy though here. When you look at, I mean, ACL injury, you know, for him to put up great numbers, losing even a quarter of a step at this point. But if you have to say, you know, if, if Joseph is going to play well, you know, the problem with coming back from an injury like this is that, um, you know, you fight so hard to get back and then, you know, you finally get up to speed where you're playing a little better and then you get tired, right? Because you've, You've had all the rehab. You've had all this fighting to get back. But, you know, Martinez, maybe a blessing in disguise, um, you know, he got COVID. So he didn't play in uh, the Copa America, right? Basically, he just sat the whole time. So um, because of that, he had you know gotten himself up to speed. And then he kind of had a few-week break where he wasn't at least playing. I don't know whether he was even training. I think not. I think he was quarantined, so he was sitting. So that might just be the thing he needs to play well. Right. Now he's had a little time to yeah. watch some video and get get mentally prepared. Yeah, for you might back. see if there's going to be a resurgence of Joseph Martinez. I, um, I encourage you to watch the game Wednesday night. We're now sitting on the podcast Monday night. Yeah. So that's Wednesday night. We're right back at it. And then Saturday again. So, yeah. I, I agree, and, you know, I think I would definitely love to see the next couple games with Joseph, particularly um, whether he was he was a little bit of the linchpin on making the, uh, the Heinz A out thing happen. Um, you know, I'd love to see him prove his worth in terms of coming back and getting some goals. Yeah, I mean, he looked like he was starting to turn the corner a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not 100%, but um, certainly was playing better. So, um, in terms of availability in the next game... Um, oh, good man. Um, <laughs> I got to fill you back up. The spreadsheet that I have, I I have, um, I guess, so a lot of people are available, right? Um, that, that weren't before, including Joseph, um, pull it up here. So are they officially listing Sosa as available? I mean, I don't understand. I didn't hear anything and then he didn't play. Well, exactly. I don't know. And I tweeted this, uh, spreadsheet to Doug on at the AJC to see, see somebody in the media who might have any sort of injury report that they get to verify this because, yeah, I don't know if Ronald Hernandez is available. Right. I don't know if Sosa is really available. Presumably Ronald Hernandez is available because he's played in the Copa America, so he can obviously play a game. There's no been no indication that he got hurt. 
Rosetta was on the bench on Saturday, so he's available, right? Unless right. something happens between now and Wednesday. Right. Mulraney's red card was overturned, available. I don't know. You know, the interesting thing you wonder is, was, I mean, Sosa is an interesting part of this story, right? Because Sosa is Argentinian, you know, has really the connection to Heinze, right? And so you would think if anything, if anybody was going to be on Heinze's side, it would have been Sosa, right? And yet the players went with a grievance, so is a player like Sosa or maybe a player like Alan Franco, are they on Heinz's side or are they with all the players? And one of the things you kind of think is that there was no report of a Sosa injury. He wasn't even on the bench. Maybe Sosa was on Martinez and and the player side. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the interesting thing is that Martinez was clearly on one side. And if... You know, you might think, you know, with De Boer, there was all this talk about the cultural difference between the American players and the European players and versus the South American players. Obviously, Martinez now in leading the, or in being part of the rebellion against Heinze, he's a South American player. So you can't say it was, you know, it wasn't like Brooks Lennon leading the, the, the thing against, uh, you know, so uh, Heinze. One other thing we haven't talked about you have to assume, or I'd like to assume, that Joseph saying he's not going to come back to the club in 2022 <laughs> was due to Heinze being the coach. Or is he still have that stance now in terms of where his head's at? Maybe Joseph actually has realized, um, you know, the front or the front office, the front the organization is not so good, and he wants to be in a better organization. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't know. You got to figure. I mean, the the smart money would be on that he was just upset at the next you know coach hiring, and you know if they if they can if they can get it right, that it would be fine. And it's worrisome. Um, even even if we were to turn over the front office, like who who's motivated to come coach at Atlanta United right now, a, a environment where it feels like the front office has got your back, whether you're Frank DeBoer or Heinze, and there's other shit that's going on in the background. I mean, I feel like that's fair to say of the coach in terms of what their lens was. Uh, and that's how it is with any coach that gets sacked. You know, they, you know, everybody's going to say one thing when the microphone's on there mm -hmm. uh, in front of their lips in terms of, Oh, we've got Heinze's back, yada, yada. But Clearly, like you said, this grievance was filed at preseason. Things have been in the works in terms of evaluating whether he can make some course corrections. And, uh, you know. I mean, obviously, Bocanegra and Niels are responsible for hiring Heinze. So you have to say, um, were they naive? Did they not get it right? Were they literally just looking to get someone who was more Tata and not Devore-like and they overlooked all of this stuff? I don't know. Um, the one thing you'll have in their defense is that, um, you know, when you first heard of the firing, you're like, it's on them. They fired another coach with, you know, 13 games in or 17, depending yeah. on whether you count the early games. But, um, and, you know, what kind of coach would want to come in and do that? But on the other hand, I think they have an out here because it turns out that it was the players right. who revolted. And so it wasn't like they were just like, eh, we're losing and we'll get rid yeah. of the coach. And, and also... Um with the MLS infractions, I, I wonder if they don't have to pay out Heinze's uh, contract. Yeah, so that's what we were hinting at early on in the podcast where, um, so there's, you know, again, the Eels and Boca Negra have been frustratingly silent with information. 
Um, there's been some speculation that they have to be because Atlanta United is trying to say that Heinz have breached the contract. And if he breached the contract, they don't have to pay it all out and they can get rid of him. It's much easier. Um, but in order, that's clearly going to be a lawsuit. Heinz is clearly going to file a lawsuit saying that he they owe him the money. Um, and if they talk about it and say too much stuff, then it's all going to be fodder right. for that lawsuit. Um, so we have an interim coach who was the uh, the assistant, correct? Correct. Valentino. Another assistant, Rob Valentino. Did you look him up? I did some. I, I did not do enough homework there, but I know that he is very well respected uh, in terms of what people have to say say about him. He played soccer in some of the lower kind of U.S. leagues. I don't think he ever played in the MLS but he does know U.S. soccer. No, that's not true. So oh. he played for uh, Orlando. Oh, okay. Um, in the early days um, on the terrible Orlando sides. But he was, a, uh, I guess, a three-time USL Defender of the Year. You're right that he played in the lower sides. He's originally from Argentina. So mm, okay. that makes sense why um, Heinze might want to have kept him on. He was here before Heinze. He came. He was yeah. he was an assistant under the Atlanta United Twos. God bless him. Um. <laughs> and, and and while it sounds like he was nervous uh, coming on with his inter- interview on uh-huh. you know what he's going to do as an interim coach, the one thing he did say in terms of like the press bite headline was that he's going to return to making a connection with kind of the players and making sure that they're happy and. Uh, and that they is pretty clear. All these, you know, our own DDY Lagos Kunga, you know, tweeted that he was a, you know, big impact on his, you know, career and, and trying to, you know, keep him happy. So it's clear that he's going to, you know, he's a player manager, that's for sure. The thing that concerns me, you know, already he was quoted as saying, you know, of course we'd want to have more freedom to go forward and whatever, which is the exact stupid thing that Glass said when he became manager. And it was like, we're not scoring goals. So the solution is just that we, the players need more freedom to go forward. Dear podcaster listeners, it is not as simple as that. If it were as simple as that, then every coach who wanted to score goals would just say, Players, you have more freedom to go forward, score goals, and they would. That is not it. Right. Now that doesn't mean this is a just a one-off line. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging him by any means yet. But um, <laughs> I remember Glass <laughs> saying the same thing that you know, in his case, he felt like De Boer had the you know handcuffs on, and he was going to release the handcuffs, and that was enough, and they were suddenly going to score goals, and and it just sounded naive right from the get-go. Yeah. No, I read that too, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's more about the players being capable of doing, you know, all the players want to go forward. I mean, well, there's tactics involved, right? I mean, the tactics is, it, you know, the reason why... So, first of all, you'll say that um, one thing you've learned is that it is not easy um, to coach a team. It's not easy to win. I mean, Tata made it look easy, but um, it's not easy. Um, De Boer... Heinz clearly have some coaching chops, some playing chops for sure. Um, and both of them ultimately, at least here at Atlanta United, were big failures. So um, it's not easy. That being said, you know, tactics is about maximizing, you know, players having the opportunity to to be where they can succeed, right? And that's not just about saying to players, oh, yeah, go forward more. 
right? Yes, you want players to go forward, but they have to go forward in a place that's their strength. If you have, you know, uh, Barco, you know, trying to run behind the defense and, and people are catching him from behind, maybe not, you know, whereas he's taking on a guy in the middle, it's much better. You know, you have to put them in a position to where they can maximize their talents and you have to get all of that attacking and movement, you know, attacking, as we've talked about on the podcast, is all about space and movement. You want to have space. You want to have movement. You want to have players in there where they are positioned to succeed. Um, and yet you still have to maintain balance so that when you lose the ball, you're not suddenly, bam, you know, giving up great, great chances. Yeah. So what... What, uh, if, if anything, in terms of Heinze's tactics other than marching Kubo Torres out there repeatedly, hmm. what, like, what is the, what is the big thing that, um, we weren't getting right in terms of a system that can be pressing up front where ball comes out, recycling it. I mean, that's, that's what everybody loves when you're, you're in that situation where your team is on the other team's half. And no matter what that team's doing, even when they kick it out, it just kind of comes back out, mm-hmm. cycles back out. You, you do a good job of getting it wide, crossing it in. Maybe it gets headed out, and then it swings back wide again. Like, everybody loves that type of soccer where you are pressing them up front, getting high-quality service into the box, you know, at least having a reasonable chance of putting it, putting some pressure uh, on the defenders or the goalie. And it, if it pops out again, you retain possession, right? Like that's a system that you kind of dream of, of kind of replicating when you get in those moments of a 10-minute period in the game where that's actually happening. So how do you make that? Well, how- you know, the interesting thing is we talked about in the podcast that I was pretty pleased by the tactics early on. You know, we were matched up out of the back. We were making it difficult for people. We had a lot of possession in their, you know, part of the field. I mean, in the beginning, I kind of said that it was the last third, a couple of little things that was going to click. You know, I argued early on that if Martinez had been Martinez of, you know, pre-ACL, that, you know, Heinze would have been off and running because they had enough, you know, chances. They had enough of the ball in the box. Um I kept saying that I thought, well, maybe two things, that it would click and we would start scoring goals. And then also, I felt very strongly that defensively we looked really solid. We were making life difficult, and we had the chance to be the kind of team that could get shutouts in the MLS, which is almost unheard of now. Um, And then it stopped happening. And, you know, we wondered whether or not, you know, it was just player availability, but... In retrospect, maybe what happened was it wasn't the tactics were wrong, just the players got worn out. It kind of looked that in yeah. retrospect. Now hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Yeah. I don't know that I ever saw the players looking worn out. I don't know. Um, well, I will say that in the beginning of the season, we talked a lot about how every time the other team had the ball and they were trying to, you know, play out. We had a guy right on someone's back, and we were winning tons of balls in midfield and in their end. That was not happening um, over the last two or three games. In Chicago, it didn't happen. It didn't happen um, in the last game against New England. Right. Um, and it certainly didn't happen on um, was on the road in Nashville. Right. So who do you think the starting lineup is going to be against Cincinnati uh, on Wednesday night? Well, again, we don't know because we don't know about the injuries. Is Jurgen Dan available? No, no idea. Is is, uh, <laughs> is Sosa available? Don't know. Um, 
so you know, Alan Franco. Uh, what did you think of his performance in the game on Saturday? You know, it's interesting because he was frustrated with himself. You could see a few moments that he didn't do better, but I thought his reading of the game was pretty good. There were a couple of times he was right there, and then the ball like went through his legs. It just looked like he was a step off, maybe a step tired. I don't know. Okay, all right. Um, you know, I, I, you hate to say this, right? You hear about this, and then suddenly, you know, if you're out there as a podcast listener saying, that's BS, Dave Katz, because, you know, you just heard about all this stuff and now you're, you know, you didn't say that beforehand. And I, I have to agree with you. I'm calling BS on myself a little bit. But I must say that from a standpoint, I would have told you very clearly that that early pressure that we had out of the back wasn't as strong as what we're doing. What the reason yeah. for that was, I don't know. I would have said not having Robinson might have been a good reason for it. Certainly not having Sosa would yeah. be a huge reason for it. Uh, by the way, you and I talked about this at the game, at least um, in the first half. There were some nice moments with Machop Chol in terms of at least him having an idea of being uh, attacking-minded and getting into a dangerous position. Um, I, I think one got called off for offsides or something that, you know, I, I think he put it in the back of the net, right? And it got called yeah, back. Yeah, maybe now it's time to talk about the game, right? So um, we're down one nothing. Um, uh, there was a shot from the new guy, Amar Sadiq. Sadiq, oh, who knows? I don't, <laughs> we don't know yet how to pronounce his name. Um, you know, <laughs> this is in our we don't know everything part of the podcast. But, um, uh, you know, he shoots it. Um, it's really close whether Chol was offside. I think he was. I think they got the call right, but it was, you know, not much. And then there was, of course, a deflection off the defender. And some people said, well, it came off the defender, and so there, and he can't be offsides. So you can only be offside um, if it's played, you know, from your team. If a defender plays it back, you can't right. be offside. But that's not true when it comes like a shot or a pass that deflects off a defender. You can still have been offside on the initial pass or shot. And in this case, I believe that Chol was offside on the initial shot. I'd have to, to go back dismay. and look. Okay. I looked carefully. But there was another instance even after that where he, you know, he was definitely throwing himself at the ball, which was nice to see somebody. Oh, the diving header, yeah. Yeah. Um, didn't quite get it right. I mean, I say, you know, in, in real time, you and I were screaming for the in the New England goal. You know, it was such a weird play because the forward slipped. He fell. The ball basically fell in his lap, and it just died. And it looked to me like when it fell in his lap, it had to have hit off his arm. And the Atlanta United players you know, stop. That's what caused the goal. Yeah. I don't actually think it was poor defending. They kind of stopped. On the replay, it Play turns... the whistle, Dave. I know. As it turns out, it hit his thigh at a weird angle and just died. And it never hit his arm. Okay. It looked like it bounced up and hit his arm. It never did. So um, I was... So I, the call was right. I was using the boys' room, of course, when we got scored on. And, uh, yeah... From the TV, and I heard the crowd, and so I just... It was, was catastrophic. Uh, the other one that nobody's talking about that I can't get any replay on or, or whatever, uh, I mean, I watched it. I recorded the game, so I was able to go back and watch it. It looked clear to me um, that there was a play where the New England defender was coming back towards his own goal, and we were about to get a shot off, and he comes back, and he clearly poked it to the goalkeeper on purpose, 
who picked it up. It was oh, clearly yeah. a pass back. Completely a pass back. It, yeah. It, he did that in, intentionally. He yeah. expected the goalkeeper just to boot it away. Yeah. And the goalkeeper just picked it up. That's not legal, you, folks. You don't do that back at, to, your, to your own goal unless you expect a player to be there to stop it from going I can the see the referee arguing that he was tackling, and in tackling, he just inadvertently knocked it back mm-hmm. to the goalkeeper, but I don't buy it. Um, I think he did it clearly on purpose. So, I give him more credit than that. So, New England, if you're out there, you dodged a bullet. That was, uh, um, yeah. that was not good. Let's go to... Uh, Dave Katz's list of... Oh, can we talk a little uh, bit more about... So we, 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 we bypassed a little bit um, Rob Valentino, the assistant. You yeah. know, So we talked about, you know, he did play in Orlando, whatever. But, um, you know, do you have any thoughts about... I mean, he doesn't have a coaching record. I'm, how long do you feel about, you know, in light of what happened with Glass, how long can we have an interim? Can they afford to let him be an interim and see if he does well before we get a coach. It, it doesn't sound like he's going to be. I, I have a feeling we're going to get a coach announcement in the next week or two. Two weeks would be a long timeline. That's awfully optimistic of you, Mikey. Well, Dennis. here's the thing. I feel like uh, <laughs> Eels, and I'm, I'm hoping, right? And this is maybe false hope from a front office who's continuing to let us down. But if this if this is a plan that they've uh, tried, try, you know, they knew that they're going to have to make a tough choice. Applaud them. He wasn't the right cultural fix. Not, not go down the path that they went with DeBoer, and actually make a decision that is right for the club. If he's being, if he's not the the guy walking around the hallways being nice to people that I was talking about, then you kind of oh, he'll clearly be that guy. You, you kind of know that he's just a go. question of whether to get the tactics right. You know, I, don't know. I, I, I guess I just didn't expect that from Heinze that he would be a jerk. To, in no, in, he in, had the reputation well, of you know the players really loving him. Yeah, you know, like be passionate, but, but but yeah, because you know he'd go to war with them, right? Mm. And but that doesn't, you know, I always expect uh, a great leader to be um, incredibly good with all the personnel that are around the building, almost to a point of uh, obsession sure. that, that would be even more than the way you're training. Well, the it's team. about man management, I and mean, you yeah. know, and soccer has two parts: it's tactics and man management, and it's a huge aspect of the game. Guys who are, there's some fantastic, you know, Biesla is one of these people who is really known for tactics and has at many times in his career gotten in big trouble because of his man management, you know, and that makes sense as a prodigy. But, um, you know, and vice versa, there are players, there are coaches out there, um, you know, who are the opposite and still, you know, you got to have both. Yeah. No, but I just, I feel like, you know, it's so important to be uh, the, the person that, people who are not involved with the coaching and the tactics are treated really well by somebody who's leading the team. Um, that, that has such a uh, cascading effect on the culture of an organization. I said that earlier, but I really believe that. And, and I'm fine. And like I said, last time of Heinze being really stubborn and set in his ways with how he wants to train <laughs> and, br- and bring that to a club that, um, he wants to, to to raise the bar, and I think he was trying to do that. Clearly, he made some bad mistakes along the way in in doing that. Um, so, it, all that to say, I I feel like Eels and Boca saw the writing on the wall maybe early this time, and started to hopefully have a secession plan in place when this um, decision was was announced. 
And they've all but said it. A succession or succession? Succession, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we would like to succeed. Succession. <laughs> succeed uh, from my, the, the train of yeah. coaches we've had. Sorry, yeah. I should know no, from I'm watching the, the HBO series yeah, to get my I'm giving you pronunciation time, correct. Uh, thank you. And uh, So you had a question for me. What were you, no, no. I'm, I, no, the, the, the point yeah. is, is yeah. I think they have their, I think they have their guy. I think they need to cross the T. Ah, so you were going to ask me about who's the guy. Who's the guy. And I don't, and I don't think Valentino is going to be in the position of coaching too many games. So I feel like that's hopefully not a conversation we're having too long around. Did he get the tactics right to actually be offensive? I feel like you know every every action is in response to the previous action kind of thing, um, and so I agree with you that it wouldn't be surprising to me to hear a non. South American, non-European, maybe, you know, an MLS guy. But, you know, they have very high ambitions. You know, they've swung for the fences with every coach. Uh, and I don't think they're going to stop swinging for the fences. So I would think that it would be, you know, a coach that has had some success. Um and there aren't any, you know, I mean, the obvious name would have been a guy like a Bruce Arena, yeah. who, you know, had super success, has been around or whatever, but, you know, he's tied up um, and old. Yeah. Um, so there aren't really MLS coaches who have had a tremendous amount of success that you would point to and say. Yeah, they're all in service, like Bob Bradley or someone like that. That's He's still LF, LAFC, right? Yes, still at LAFC. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Martin O'Neill, um, getting really up there in years, but has had tremendous success in the Premier League and in Scotland. Might be a guy who Darren Eels knows. Uh, Any English league coaches or European or coaches out? that are, you know. I mean, the one, you know, who obviously Chelsea snapped up. Tuchel yeah. was free. Um, and Pochettino. You know, they just swapped, <laughs> right? Pochettino yeah. left Tottenham and went to PSG, and Tuchel went from PSG to um, um, to Chelsea. Um, you got to get somebody who's got a proven track record of winning. I mean, if you want to go crazy, whatever, you would say Conte. Yeah. Right? Conte got run out of Roma, crazy, won the title. Um, Zinedine Zidane? <laughs> uh, no, so... No, so Conte was at Roma and then he went to Chelsea and then was at Inter Milan and won the title just previously and then said uh, they just wanted him to stay and he said oh no I'm I'm done so mm. he walked away um but does you know what is an Italian coach you know yeah um have to do with coming here um that's highly unlikely a lot there's there's um, you could go back to Dutch, you know, right? Obviously, Barcelona. Uh, oh, no, they... No, Oops. Barcelona did get rid of um, Komen. Did they? Right? So they ran him out, yeah. Komen's no longer with Barcelona. Yeah, isn't that true? I don't know. I m Maybe I missed that. I didn't know that they sacked him. I feel like they did. I don't I'm know. I'm mistaken that. Um, I should know that, of you course. You keep up with the... International stuff better than me, so I'll trust you. You know, um, Zidane left Real Madrid, right? Uh, <laughs> one, one of the names that's been thrown out is Frank Lampard. Uh, Ugh, yeah, no. Lampard too, has shown nothing too, too but unproven. Nothing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, if anything, Tushel just showed how 
tactically naive um, Frank Lampard is because Frank Lampard, you know, had a that team plummeting down the table, and Tuchel came in and all he did was simplify the system, strengthen the defense, and suddenly they went on a you know fourteen match Tear. winning streak and yeah. won the Champions League, right? Um, so. I don't think that's such a reflection of Tuchel being such a great coach. It means that Chelsea had a good team the whole time, and Lampard sucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and I think that's how everybody's feeling in the Atlanta United 17s. That it, almost anything right now is is a positive step, um, so long as you got somebody who's nice to people in the building. I mean, you know, these <laughs> crazy moves. You know, um, obviously. Um, you know, Miami went with Phil Neville, you know, coming off of the women coaching the women's team and was awful. And he's, you know, not done anything there um, with a decent side. Um, you know, the coaches who got hired who did really well, um, I can't remember his name, but the guy who got co- who got hired at Orlando had a terrific MLS track record and is doing really well at Orlando. And obviously Caleb Porter... Um, who had a real track record and went to Columbus, and suddenly Columbus, you know, won the title. But both yeah. of them are under contract. Are there any other um, South American coaches uh, that would be worth considering? You know, I mean, everybody go back to the names that were, people were talking about when um, Heinze was hired, but um, the one guy who I can't remember his name who was who was um, talked about a lot, but he just re-upped his contract in yeah. South America, so. Yeah, I don't know. They've got to get it right. I am uh, hoping, and then the the next two podcasts will be talking about a new coach because I think I think they do have uh, the decision made. I guess if that be the case, how quickly can they execute? You would it? think they would if they've had you know if they've known since preseason that um, there was this grievance follow, filed, and so they were thinking about it then. Um, Maybe they give him a couple of weeks to write the ship and see if he went and he didn't do that. They had to have been looking, you know, now for the last, you know, yeah. four or five weeks and, at least. And Darren Eels is clearly a people person. He should be the first person to identify what Heinze's behavior is in in the environment in the building. Uh, not not with the players if they're locked out of the locker room and all of that. But the way that he's creating that again positive vibe within mm-hmm. within the the entire uh, culture of the training facilities on the bus wherever they go like they should start they should be able to see some of those behaviors reflective of the coach that you want and I have a feeling that Eels um, maybe hopefully had a strong enough opinion on that early on where they started the the planning of who the next coach coach was. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, you could see a wild card like someone out of the college coaching ranks. Yeah. Um, I've always said on the podcast that find me a winner, right? I don't care what level, right? You know, people say, oh, you can't make the jump from college coaching to MLS, maybe. But, you know, if you have a guy who's got a phenomenal record, um, you know, Caleb Porter made the jump from college coaching to MLS, um, and he's done terrifically well. So yeah. he won a national championship as a college coach out of nowhere. So, um, you know, and then the other kind of coach, you know, 
who you would say, you know, Tata, who succeeded in a lot of his coaching jobs, but then got run out of these high-profile places, you know, like Ancelotti would be another case like that where he got run out of a couple of clubs. You know, he now just returned back to Real Madrid after they sacked him, you know, 15 years oh, ago. Oh, because he left, he was at Everton, right? Everton, yeah, yeah. he's done really well. Um, and then they hired Nuno, um, uh, you Nuno know. Sanchez, yeah. Yeah, my, who's my your Wolves coach, coach yeah. who's, the, you know, looking like, you know, he can really coach yeah he, he definitely can coach and there's a few guys like that the roberto martinez is of the world coaching belgium um martin uh, sanchez you know guys who haven't coached the best teams but have done really well at a number of smaller clubs um you know one, one other thing i wanted to bring uh, even you know emery you know it's funny because you know emery went from Sevilla where he had won uh, uh not Sevilla um Villarreal no Sevilla oh god I'm mixing him up now but anyway and where he'd won the um um uh the UEFA Europa League you know multiple times with Sevilla and then um went to Emery I uh, went to <laughs> Went You're falling apart on me, Dave. Uh, went, to, no. went to your alma mater and no. uh, got his degree. <laughs> went in to Arsenal. <laughs> Good gracious! And got run out of there for being like super technically naive, and then went back to Villarreal and won the Europa League again, right? And you're like, so people are like, you know, he won and won and won, and then they were like, he's awful at Arsenal. And then, so they ran him out, and he went back, and now oh, he won the Europa League again. You're like, yeah. how does he do that, right? Obviously, he can coach. Is Arson too old to coach? Arson Venga? Yeah. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Arson Venga would love to coach in Atlanta United. Um, he has been rumored to be itching for a year or two more because he's a, you know, he's always been a, always been an admirer of American sports and these, you know, new wave and all this other stuff and um, wanting to push the envelope. It wouldn't surprise me if he would be interested. Yeah. Um. One thing I want to just bring up on the podcast is, look, we've had a two-year spiral. Mm. Uh, I don't know if we've, we're at rock bottom yet. We're, we're certainly we're certainly close, I hope, on a rebound. Don't you have to admit you have a problem before you reach the bottom? That's probably true, too. Um, so have, you know, by that analogy, has Bocanegra and Eels admitted they have a problem? No, they are they are in the shadows. Those guys work in the shadows. I really am disappointed with, like, you know, I mean, it's great they had a presser yesterday and talked cryptically about making sure that they don't get sued by Heinze to win the battle. But there's a leading up to this, I just feel like the front office has not done any favors with the fan base of providing a level of transparency on... Uh, a number of fronts with, um, you know, why Joseph is in timeout. Like, I don't even understand why. Like, I'm still curious why that is and why it can't be explained. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. And, even with everything coming out, you would think they just fired the coach. The first thing they would say is, this is what happened to get Joseph Martinez in timeout. And Right. I, I just... I, we don't know what we don't know. We were not near the building. We're just two guys on a podcast talking about uh, Atlanta and I, which we love, but it doesn't add up the way that they're treating the fans at this point, which is a, is a real problem. And what I wanted to say is I want to applaud our fan base 
uh, as an Atlanta sports team, even with the misery that we're going through, whether we're rock bottom or not, we're still podcasting about it. The fans still care about this team, and they're not getting off the bus. No, I mean. Ever. It's so. funny because people were talking about all oh, the crowds were down, whatever, but I didn't really not, think not that really. much. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't think so that much. I mean, I think there was a little bit of a, a dip but and we're um, still in covid people yeah and in covid I, I i feel like there was not enough of a signal that they've lost any sort of backing from people who now love soccer in atlanta and i was even at the the pool like you know people went to the game uh on saturday i was at, at the pool on sunday first atlanta united game I was just like overhearing somebody talking about it. they they had a blast. They knew nothing about soccer, and they're getting yeah. they're getting introduced to to soccer at Mercedes Benz, and you know those are those are future fans. Okay, now, dear podcast listener, um, as you may have heard, in the sixth or seventh minute, the crowd broke into a chant of Joseph Joseph Martinez. And Mikey Dobbs in our section of all people was yeah. yelling, Gabriel, <laughs> Gabriel Heinz. So now, so, in so, light of that, do you feel that was warranted? Are you still behind Heinz or no. have you you no. just thought it was BS now and you're off the bandwagon? No, I mean, I, 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 I'm glad you brought that up because I, I can take ownership when I'm wrong. And a hundred percent, like, you know, I, I really is disappointed. Again, I'm disappointed in the two things, like the water breaks and all that. I think it overhyped. Um, weird, but unless there's, weird. unless there's a lot more like date, you know, facts on that, I don't want to go with the rumor mill on that. But if, if that's true, that sucks and it's it's weird. But in terms of him just not bringing the right positive body language to the building, and um, you keep coming back to that, that really bothers you. It drives me crazy. Right. I know what. Uh, uh, I won't go. I, you know, I've been fortunate to work for good people uh-huh. that have those traits. And now that I'm 46, I realize how important that is to, you know, I've been lucky enough to you actually don't look a day over 45. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been fortunate enough to work for people who understand that, that, um, you know, uh, you can be hard on people and ride them with getting the execution part done. But at the end of the day, you have to treat everybody in the building with a ton of respect and a ton of positivity um, mm-hmm. or it, the whole thing's a nightmare. I mean, it's just, it's a matter of time before it implodes and I don't care what the business is. Um, that's going to be the case, I guess. Yeah. It's interesting because you've been very vocal that you're in favor of a little bit of the coach having a my way or the highway. And I agree with you that yeah. you have to, you have to be in charge. It has to be yours or whatever, but um, not at the detriment of, you know, of player relations. And at the end of the day, the players need to be so behind you that they'll, you know, run through a mm-hmm. brick wall for you. No. So I like, I, that's the, that's the difference is like, right. I'm, I'm good with him pressing the, the players to a level of uncomfort that they haven't been to before. And that is growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good coaching and all, all of that. Um, but, yeah, it was disturbing. And again, I'm just going off the rumors here in terms of he just wasn't a nice guy in general. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, with, with Tata Martino, right, you saw a guy who clearly had a personality, right? Like if Definitely if has charisma. He had sure. charisma, right? And so whether you're the referee getting patted on, yeah. the, sh- on, on the shoulder and then you get <laughs> the, the red card. The first coach ever to be sent off for yeah, patting was, the referee. 
you know, is there's a different personality that's that's a, a leadership trait that seems to be missing in in Heinze's uh, suite, which uh, yeah, I have to say I thought was there and and maybe wasn't, as well as his ability to um, know how to at least if a, a player does need direct one on one communication, take a moment, like you said, don't overdo it, but you know, sometimes less is more and, you know, whether that's a sentence or two or whatever on encouragement or constructive feedback, like you have to be a leader that can do those things eye to eye with a player. And those are the two big things that have surfaced that I believe are the dagger of where he went wrong and maybe it has as a crutch as a coach even. And so I thought those things were in place when I was chanting Gabriel Heinze. I thought actually those were things that he was really strong at that got people to follow him, uh, you know, streaking down the road. Yeah. Um, I had to agree with you. I agree with everything you said, but for once, I, I I think the water breaks, uh, while they're the easy thing to point to or were the, the last of the real, the real reasons that, uh, if you're the marketing director for Gatorade, here's your opportunity. I think we yeah. here at Atlanta United yeah. are now using Gatorade for our yeah. water breaks. And if you have to credit the front office, if there was like a, a, a fact that they were going to bring up and use as like the, here's why we're getting ready. Like, Oh boy. Like, yeah. especially in this, this era, like if people aren't getting their water, they were going to die and they definitely were pulling hammies because of that. Well, I have to say that, you know, um, for all of our consternation at, um, the lack of information on injuries, et cetera, whatever. Um, you know, they've been professional, Bocanegra and Eels, about, um, you know, not, you know, throwing Heinze under the bus. They could have. Um, they have not. They haven't come out with all that information. You would argue that the, the, the downside is the fans are frustrated. The upside is that they're professional about it, and that means that another coach might want to work for them. Right. Yeah, no, and I think, um, yeah, credit to them if this be the case that they knew that they had to make a tough decision like a couple months ago. Yeah. And they've been in the background planning for it and hopefully have learned their lesson. You know, because I think overall I feel like the fan sentiment with Heinze was a good one back in December, maybe naively, but I think we were happy to move on from Frank DeBoer at that time. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a whole lot of – negativity around the choice of Heinze. I mean, I think, you know, if you go deep into the, the Twitter sphere that there was plenty of people that maybe were providing the warning signs for what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. But ultimately I feel like the fan base was happy for a change and um, yeah, maybe Darren and, and, and Boca matured a little bit actually behind the scenes. And credit to Martinez for not saying anything either. I mean, he's been super professional about it. I mean, he could have easily come back and said, you know, I'm not being a jerk, right? You know, the whole player, I was just supporting the whole players and blah, 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 but he didn't air yeah. the dirty laundry and um, kept it, you know, mum's the word. But is there something he can give us now? Uh, evidently, there's a he is a part of the um, press, uh, pre-press uh, on the pregame tomorrow, so we will hear from Joseph uh, being interviewed by reporters tomorrow. If you're Joseph, please tell Eels and Bocanegra. No more glass. We do not need another Jonathan Glass in over his head as an interim manager for Steven whatever. Steven Glass. Oh, Steven Glass. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, who's Jonathan? Oh, Jonathan Glass. <laughs> uh, 
I apologize, Jonathan is the guy yeah. I work with. <laughs> I misspoke. Yeah, Stephen Glass. Yeah, no, but please don't give us an interim coach. Um, goodness gracious, who's over his head. So yeah, please. So here's here's our last thing. Do is is Valentino over his head? Oh yeah, I think okay. so. As a head as a head coach, I think so. And so you're on the record as saying he's got to go, and we're about to have a new coach. Yes. And if not, then I'm very disappointed with the front office. I think it, it is. I'm going to take that bet. I just don't think they can pivot that fast. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I'm only saying I give them credit if they've been planning for months and have their guy or gal uh, who's mm-hmm. going to take over as the head coach sure. of Atlanta United. And, uh, it, you know, if this doesn't move quickly within, I'm going to say, two to three weeks, if it goes beyond three weeks, uh, major failure by the front office. Okay, you heard it here first. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to call it a wrap. Uh, I know we didn't get uh, Jason Longshore on the podcast as we had teased it last time. but He's uh, a little busy. He's a little busy. He's, uh, I think, packing up to get on a plane for, for Cincy. But if he is kind enough to join on a future podcast, we're going to schedule that and we'll let you know. But thanks for listening, everybody. See ya. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. If anybody actually made it this far in the podcast, I'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter at ATL on fire and tell your friends to subscribe. We are on iTunes, Google play, and really any sort of podcast uh, platform that you're on. So do listen again. Have a good one.